Hey, everybody, and welcome to a special quarantine edition of Was That Really Necessary? <laughs> uh, we are recording via some the wonders of the internet here, and my name is Zach Buell and lovely, talented co-host Paul Abishan is here as well. Paul, how are you now? I'm good and quarantined. <laughs> well, if you guys haven't listened to this episode, or this episode, nobody's listened to this episode before. If nobody's listened to this show before, though, it's an interesting place to jump in. But what we do is we look at remakes reboots sequels prequels anything that hollywood does to see if it is a cash grab if it's a passion project if it's well maybe a little bit of both and we try to start breaking it down we actually watch both movies the original and whatever sort of remake or reboot that we deem fit and we were supposed to do something around christmas but that somehow fell by the wayside but we decided nowadays nowadays we needed to get something moving so in the spirit of all of the wonderful protesting pictures that we've seen, I decided that we should watch Dawn of the Dead, the 1978 original, and the 2004 sequel remake, I guess, of, uh, of Dawn of the Dead. So, Paul, uh, do you have any initial thoughts before we jump into the, the original there? Uh, did, did you enjoy doing this during the quarantine, or was it just too depressing? You know, I actually enjoy doing this during the quarantine. This is not um, as bad as some other movies out there that I've watched during the quarantine. Uh, You know, to get off topic, I watched Contagion. Uh, That's fucked up to watch in a quarantine. Uh, Yeah, I wouldn't recommend that. (laughs) So this was this was fun. This was exciting. I enjoyed um, I enjoyed watching these. I I enjoy it. Excellent. Well, Let's uh, let's dive right in and talk about Dawn of the Dead, the original one from 1978. So if anybody hasn't seen it, what it does is it actually follows an ever-growing epidemic of zombies that have risen from the dead. And there are two Philadelphia SWAT team members, a traffic reporter, and his television executive girlfriend as they seek refuge in a secluded shopping mall. Now, that's a pretty nice, high-level, easy overview of this uh, movie. But, I mean, reality of it is, is... It, everybody kind of it, it jumps right in with this awesome chaotic newscast scene where you're actually inside the the news station and everybody's talking about what's going on. They're trying to wrangle it in. Some people are just leaving the station because they know that there's yeah. just chaos happening outside. <laughs> and then um, the chopper pilot decides he talks to one of the newscasters. Uh, that's his girlfriend. And he says, hey, meet me upstairs. Uh, we're going to take the chopper and we're going to get away through some events that we'll talk about in a second to SWAT team uh, professionals join them. And then they end up landing uh, near this mall and then they take up refuge there and all manner of stuff happens, uh, including a biker gang finishing up uh, the, the, toward the end of the movie, uh, jumping in on him. So, um, Paul, what are your initial thoughts on the, the 1978 version of Dawn of the Dead? What are you, what are your thoughts here? I mean, it's I, 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 I sigh because there <laughs> there's mixed emotions. So for those who don't know, this is a George A. Romero movie. Um, he is a thing, uh, even in today's, uh, even in today's standards. Um, obviously when this came out, he was not, uh, Uh, he was sort of a thing with night of the living dead coming out. Right. And that's, that's the thing. This, this was his thing that this, Mm -hmm. um, night of the living dead. Um, there were several other movies that were involved with this that I know Zach is just dying (laughs) to get into. So I'm going to leave that one for him. Um, I don't have a passion as much as Zach does for this movie, but I do enjoy it. Um, the effects I think are what kind of threw me off the most. Uh, and I say that because this movie is, comes out in the same time as star Wars. 
mm-hmm. uh, which I mean is a huge contrast on special effects in the 1970s to what this is. Um, I didn't grow up with this movie. I didn't enjoy this movie um, growing up. So I think to kind of take what I have enjoyed as far as the zombie genre and then revert back to this is not as climactic as the cult following that I think it it has today. The zombies move slow. The zombies Mm -hmm. are gray makeup. I mean, that's really all it is. Just some gray makeup. Mm -hmm. Um, and some of the scenes, I the death scenes are pretty cheesy. It's uh, it always reminded me of the Austin Powers where the guy's getting run over by the steamroller from like fifty yards away and is just standing there screaming. That's how I took Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, I mean, I can't disagree with you. So this this is one of the first Tom Savini movies who is now a a god in the terms of uh, you know practical effects and makeup effects, especially in the horror genre. It's Tom Savini is like he's he's just the man. Uh, but and the only the only, the only my still no matter what I see him in, my only reference to him visually is Dust Till Dawn Dick yep. Gun. <laughs> yep, the he's dude has the... a double barrel revolver dick gun that comes out of his cod piece and it is the coolest scene in that movie um and no matter what else i see him in no matter how many times i see it i just revert back to him leaning back in a chair and a dick gun yep i mean that's a good visual to have of him (laughs) right Um, he has he is now you know like he's pioneered so many different makeup effects and he is well known for just, just creating some amazing stuff but this one uh the funny thing is is like if you go to the dawn of the dead trivia page on imdb first thing says tom savini chose the gray color for the zombie skin since night of the living dead was in black and white and the zombie skin tone was not depicted he later said it was a mistake because many of them ended up looking quite blue on film that (laughs) doesn't give you a pretty good indication of the fact that this this makeup special effects guy was like "Uh, i might have fucked up a little bit there um yes it's cheesy uh some of the effects are I think hilarious. I love the uh, the zombie. There's at one point one of them sticks its head up into some helicopter blades, and the top of its head gets chopped off. I love it because it's clearly like a Frankenstein head that's been built up way too far from this guy's <laughs> this guy's head. Is his 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 forehead is like Peyton Manning huge, and then they just <laughs> stick him under there. Um, it's it's super cheesy. Now, I as Paul said, I have a, I have a love for this film. I really do. Um, it is it is cheesy. It is overwrought. It is not the greatest special effects. It is just, it is what it is. But it pioneered, it helped along with Night of the Living Dead really pioneer a genre. It has the slow moving zombies. It is the the sequel to it. And what it really lacks in some of the seriousness or some of it being kind of cheesy, um, it does a really good job of Ken Foray, who is a bit of a, you know, a, a well-known actor in the in terms of like B-list horror movie actors. Um, he is a strong black man that was depicted at a time that they, they were not really. The Night of Living Dead also features a black protagonist in 1968 when that was not a thing really either. So it's got Romero does a really good job with actually like bringing that to light of it. Um, the woman in Dawn of the dead starts off as really kind of shitty. And that was a big critique of night of living dead was the Barbara. The head woman was just kind of lame and boring, but then she starts to get her own and she starts standing up to the men and it depicts SWAT team police officers very poorly. And it really drives a hole in um, a wedge between the races. And it's a really that, that first scene, 
Paul. I mean, you know, when the SWAT team is introduced to him, there's oh just my a God. guy who's going Coming off hat cocked and shooting minorities all the time. It's just crazy. I have it in my notes. Like, <laughs> starts with a lot of explanations about zombies. Mm-hmm. Um, dropping end bombs right off the bat. Right off. Like, yep. right off the bat. And you're just like, holy shit. What it what what I think this movie does a really good job of. So Romero kind of stumbled into doing Night of the Living Dead and was just like, I wanted to make a zombie movie on like four thousand dollars with some friends in black and white. And it ended up being because he cast a black man as the lead right away. Um, he didn't even intend that to be some sort of uh, you know statement, but it ended up being a statement. And then with the end of that movie, if no one has ever seen it. The black man survives, but then as he sticks his head out of a window to see if any the coast is clear, he's shot by white rednecks who are out zombie killing, and it's this you know pretty tragic end to it. And he didn't realize that he was really making a statement. So with Dawn of the Dead, he wanted to make a statement. So it's about um, some of the the racial tensions at the time. There are that uh, there's like sexism that is uh, actually being addressed in there. There's the whole consumerism aspect of it, how these zombies are just coming back to this mall and doing that. It's like. He actually tried to do that. Now, he does it well for the first, I don't know, 20 minutes or so in the movie. And then it just gets. uh. Yeah, I think once they go to the mall, (laughs) there were some scenes going back to that commercialism standpoint, because I think that's pretty prevalent throughout the movie. Um, And obviously, and as we'll kind of dive in as we talk about the reboot. There's both movies mentioned that why do they come to the ball? Oh, maybe it's muscle memory. Um, that's obviously yeah. a nod to commercialism. But then you also once the the uh, alive people, the human beings are in the mall, you've got these dickhead cops that are like shopping. Like the literal <laughs> the literal zombie apocalypse is going on around them and they're shopping. And it's like and I think about that as I'm sitting in quarantine watching idiots storm <laughs> capitals. Um, I, it just kind of made me chuckle a little bit like y'all there. Is, people are dying. Like in this movie, people are, are being eaten and murdered and you, you like, you've seen it happen. Yeah. Your friends died and you're worried about some camping shit. Like, holy smokes, people. I think that's what kind of took me right away. Even in they play it up a lot more in the original compared mm-hmm. to the reboot where they're just kind of like perusing some selections. They right. like hardcore are driving carts around and just being like acting like two bunch of dickheads drunk on a golf course. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, it's just, it's just it, it blew my mind. Like it just kind of was like, OK, I see what you're doing here obviously see the symbolism behind it uh but this uh the these people are 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 ridiculous yeah and uh, like i said you know romero is trying his best to deal with a lot of this stuff but um you know like i said he he kind of stumbles into it with with night of the living dead and didn't i don't he didn't set out to make any sort of commentary this is where it starts to really go downhill because Dawn of the Dead, I still like. I think, like I said, I think this is a great movie, um, but it has many, many flaws, and I will recognize every one of those flaws with everybody <laughs> that, that watches this movie. And then he goes to Day of the Dead when in 1985, which is this commentary on military and the police state and that kind of stuff like that. It is Ugh, I I've never been a fan of that one. Um, that has that has kind of a special place, especially with the effects. 
um, for that one being another Tom Savini masterpiece. Uh, and it actually, those, those effects are much better. Then he actually holds off for 20 years and then comes back in 2005 with land of the dead then 2007 diary of the dead and then 2009 survival of the dead. So he made kind of an original trilogy and then did three more. Um, those other three land diary and survival are all so so heavy-handed with everything like land of the dead is about politics and class disputes and like the the upper class and that one literally live in a tower overlooking everybody like it's it's not exactly subtle with any of this and (laughs) it just goes downhill from there too so it it seems that like romero kind of he he accidentally made a masterpiece and then kind of just was like i don't know zombies you think they could represent let's say poverty this time and then (laughs) what's going on in the world today (laughs) that we can represent yeah so i i again i i love this movie i like it for ken foray and his overwrought acting i like it because it is this just you know god-awful kind of slow plotting plot along with the zombies and it's just it's so entertaining and i love that the you know if you're watching this movie and you go and you wait till the very end when they get into the end credits that the music you may recognize is the robot chicken end song that is robot chicken actually took the song from dawn of the dead and then made chickens cluck it for their end theme so that that comes from the original dawn of the dead so did you catch that paul did you oh yeah know oh yeah <laughs> oh. Um, so it, it's definitely just caught it. it's funny <laughs> <laughs> there are some other like you know, fun just kind of things i learned about this movie mm-hmm. diving into the the worldwide uh, web here yeah the mall so obviously i was kind of curious watching this I was like holy shit uh how did they pull this off in the 70s to film in a mall right uh well they did it at night obviously mm-hmm. um <laughs> but what they didn't account for was that at 6 a.m the mall music turned on and <laughs> nobody knew how to turn it off so they had to stop <laughs> filming at 6 a.m. And then apparently they would go out drinking and get hammered. And Savini was cool with this and with them and actually encouraged it because he thought drunk zombies would be better on camera. <laughs> what he did not prepare for was what damage to a mall drunk zombies would do at night. <laughs> um, some of the stories were pretty funny. Uh, just, I mean, shit, golf carts were stolen, windows were broken. Uh, it sounds like it turned into a, a kind of a party there for a while with mm-hmm. the, the extras. So uh, definitely the 70s. Um, and even in the beginning of the movie, I did. If you notice there uh, when they're riding over in the helicopter, the guy's like, oh, it's one of those. It's one of those new, new fancy malls, new indoor malls. And I'm like, holy <laughs> shit, that's right. This is uh, this is kind of like a whole new thing. Um, and even before kind of that 80s. Uh, let's go to the mall vibe kind of took over. It was, uh, I forgot malls were kind of new when this movie came out. Yeah. No one's ever going to accuse this of being a modern movie watching it. (laughs) No, no. Uh, I mean, I, I really, you, you can see where this movie helped pave the way for other, especially 
genre type movies like that. And you can tell that, you know, Romero is a, is a good filmmaker. Um, this didn't really launch any careers outside of, again, I've mentioned before, but Ken Foray, but he never really got above that sort of either black exploitation or, you know, horror movie type of acting. So he, if this didn't, and, and it's not hard to see why they're not the greatest actors in the world. They are so overblown. I mean, this is like kind of like watching a soap opera, but with zombies, with zombies that just blew themselves to make a, an arrested development reference. <laughs> um, gotta listen to yourself. Uh, but it's just, it, it is. I don't know. I, I I love it for its flaws. I love it in spite of its flaws. I I just I I love the movie, and. I don't know. It, it was pretty entertaining. It, it was, uh, you know, it, it did do pretty well at the box office. I think, uh, Paul, you got, uh, you got some numbers for us. You usually do with this. Uh, I do. I do. And this was actually of all of the, um, of his series. This is the most profitable at the box office. Interesting. Uh, and I believe a lot of that is because it only cost uh, $650,000 to make. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> and took in a box office, just in the box office of $66 million. So that's, I mean, shit, that's a that's a good chunk of money to profit off of uh, for this film. And not only, obviously, the money that it's still making up to this day. Yeah, and then what's interesting, too, is like you would think about something, something like... Uh, Night of the Living Dead, which I mentioned was made for like $6,000. You would think that that would be, you know, some sort of huge profitable thing. Night of the Living Dead is interestingly, uh, it is now in the public domain. So that's why a bunch of modern horror movies will show people watching that because they can, because it's an influential movie that just hit public domain because Romero just let the, um, or I don't, one of his producing partners, I believe, uh, let the rights slip. So it's interesting that this is the more profitable one because he just didn't make any money off of Night of the Living Dead, despite it not being any <laughs> it costing any money. Um, and there was a bit of a hit for 1978. 1978 is tough to find box office for. Um, number one was Greece that year. Superman was number two. National Lampoon's Animal House was number three. Um, it, uh, by my best estimations, Dawn of the Dead would be probably top 10, probably like the seventh or eighth in there behind like Jaws 2 and a couple others in there. Yeah, so, I mean, every movie that's, you that's just... That's a good box office, man. That's that's a big take in 1978, $66 million. Oh, yeah. And I mean, every movie you just listed is, I would say, to considered by today's standards, a classic. Well, yeah, Grease, Superman, National Lampoon's all, they all eclipsed over 100 million box office, which was not easy to do. I mean, nowadays, that's a, you know, sometimes a, a failure if it only eclipses that. But these right. in 1978, that's a crazy amount of money that these things made. So for Dawn of the Dead to do that, that's pretty good, especially for a, you know, a movie that is 10 years beyond it, the movie that it's a sequel to. And like wasn't you know night of living dead was a hit but wasn't like a crazy you know like huge hit until later so it's like that's that's pretty damn good actually to be honest oh yeah i mean it, again for for what it was and the effects i mean this th th this was by by all accounts a success yeah and you know romero had obviously like i said he's done all those of the dead movies that he had um in between night of the living dead and dawn of the dead 
for those that don't know, again, in the genre of air, you know, area of this, he had directed the crazies, which actually got a remake that I really enjoy. And, a, um, another movie called Martin in between Dawn and night, uh, night of the living dead. So he had actually, you know, like done some stuff. Um, he, those were both pretty modest hits that both good movies too. And then he would do creep show in 1982, which he co-wrote with Stephen King, um, which I really, I, I love that one too. And then he did day of the dead, like I mentioned. And then after that, he kind of just did those other of the deads, but in a movie called bruiser, which I do not recommend, but uh, <laughs> Romero is, is known for, he, he's, I, I don't want to say this necessarily, but I'm going to anyway, he kind of is known for night of the living dead and then coasting off of that. You could argue that Dawn of the dead also gets him up there, but ugh. He, you know, looking at his filmography, he's he's not exactly an auteur. <laughs> have you ever have you ever heard of a movie uh, of the dead? Because because that's that's me. Yeah, unless that's, it was Return kinda, of the like... Living Dead. <laughs> Return what? of the Living Dead were two '80s movies that were sort of making fun of and sort of not make they they came out of the night of the living dead but they were not his and then i guess there's like three direct to dvd sequels of those two but yes yeah. but we didn't talk about i mean he did monkey shine uh or monkey yeah. shine excuse me i i liked monkey shines i mean stephen root stanley tucci the, i'm a fan but uh that monkey creeped me the fuck out as a kid too so yeah uh, and that's yeah that's a that's an interesting movie <laughs> I had forgotten about that. <laughs> that one, uh, yeah, that one's that one's an interesting one. Um, I mean, this movie's still rated very highly. As much as I mm-hmm. feel like we're both kind of saying we 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 like it, but it sucks. Um, <laughs> you know, it's still rated very very highly on IMDb on uh rotten tomatoes it was yep, rotten tomato gives it a 93 for the for the yeah. um, critics 90 percent for audience i mean like it it does well um and i think that like i said there's still great takeaways from this and i still love the movie but i also understand why people why going to watch it nowadays would be interesting and especially if you watch it like we did up against the remake which is a very very different movie and it's probably a good segue to to move into that um so paul do you have a a brief you know bit of uh, information about what we should expect if you watch the 2004 movie yeah yeah uh everything that happened in the first one <laughs> except it's a nurse a cop a married couple a salesman and some other people but literally the this almost Almost the same fucking movie, um, except, yeah, uh, obviously this movie made some careers. This one has people that you know who you've heard of who are everyday um, household actor names. The yes, <laughs> it's it's a really good movie. It of course it's a stupid zombie movie. It has its holes. We can sit here and we are going to talk some shit. But it's good, in my opinion. It's got some some jumps, some freaky shit, some holy shits, um, and uh, some chuckles. Yeah, I mean, so it, this one, what what Dawn of the Dead two thousand four does differently in a in a quick nutshell would be one, it introduces fast zombies. Now, this and twenty eight days later. 
in 2002 are most generally credited as like, hey, this is the reason why fast zombies exist now, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, The other noticeable thing is they upped the cast. Now, in general, you the the first one, you're pretty much just following the four main cast members. Uh, And in this one, they really expand that out. Um, One thing that it does really great is like right away in the beginning grabs you again where where the original Dawn of the Dead opens up in this TV studio and it shows you kind of the chaos that's happening from the broadcast. This just throws you into it and immediately has a little girl zombie tearing out some dude's like throat, like just bam, Sarah Polly's husband gone. Like, see you later. Just right off right off the bat, man, it's they don't uh, there's not as much buildup. They get right to the point. Um, Sarah Polly, if you don't, you're like, who the fuck is it? Uh, she was in a movie called go. She was, the, mm-hmm. I think that was kind of her breakout movie was, go. Yeah. she was the, the main She's character. Great. <laughs> She's yeah, absolutely awesome. Um, I think they did a better job of bringing kind of a more eclectic group of people yes. together, um, rather than people who kind of all, I feel like in the first one, they all kind of knew each other for the most mm-hmm. part. This is more um walking dead style a bunch of people from various backgrounds you like some you hate some um all together second off this takes place in milwaukee go wisconsin right. um which i thought i've kind of forgot when i rewatched I like oh yeah it takes place in milwaukee yep. um <laughs> like right and, and I, again I, i'm digressing and sidetracking but they list off a bunch of cities in the beginning that are in trouble or things are happening and you're kind of sitting there like I know where all of these are. Yep. (laughs) I know these weird ass cities. Um, But I mean, we're talking a really great cast. Uh, Vig Rhymes, uh, Mackay Pfeiffer, Michael Kelly, who is like in everything. Um, Mm -hmm. He's great in House of Cards. He's, uh, he always just kind of plays this like sidekicky douchebag guy. Uh, Yeah. You have a guy Jake named Weber Jake who Weber. never really like caught on, but he, if you go back and watch movies from this time frame, he's, yeah, he's in, in every, every he's in every movie from like 98 to 2005, I think. And then he just kind of falls off. And he's a good actor, but just never really hit. Yeah. And now then I think I know you're probably one, going to get to next. Oh, there's one actor <laughs> I need to talk about because. <laughs> so there is a show that just wrapped up called Modern Family. And Phil Dumphy, the dad, is played by an actor named Ty Burrell. When Modern Family came out, I had a very hard time with Modern Family because of Dawn of the Dead. So, <laughs> like, I, 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 it took me a couple seasons of Modern Family to get over it. So Ty Burrell is in this movie, and he plays the douchiest of douchey douchebags. And he is awful. But I mean, great. He's so good as this awful character. (laughs) And that's that's the problem is that, like, I love him as this character because I have always up until Modern Family have always seen Ty Burrell as an asshole. Like you're a dick. (laughs) You're sarcastic. You're just a you're you're like the sinister asshole. And then he comes out as like Phil Dumphy and you're like, what the my my world got flipped upside down. So he is like the coolest, worst character. Yeah. He is just the the he's he's uh, having sex with one of the other survivors and is just an awful person. He's he is a just I mean, he's this just misogynistic, rich, 
douchebag. He's just such, and he's so good at it. And it's like, it, and if if you have never watched this movie and you only know Ty Burrell from Modern Family, which I think you are probably in the majority there, um, you really need to watch his character in this movie because it is just, it, you, you will be blown away. And I don't know if I'm ever over it. I'm so glad you went on that diatribe because I feel the same way. And I still don't know if I can take him as Phil Dunphy on on Modern Family, honestly, because I still just see him as this. <laughs> yes. Like I, I can't, I can't, it, it ah, there's, there's certain scenes, especially where he, I mean, this movie came out in 2014, so I'm going to spoil some shit. Like when he gets, like, when, yeah, 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 even worse. way back. <laughs> when, when he gets turned into a zombie and that first, like he like looks up and it's like, ah, mm-hmm. like I can't get that image out of my head. Um, even today. So yeah, I I've I've been dying to talk about Ty Burrell and then Matt Fewers in this. Oh, I love Matt Fewer. He's so good from Honey I Shrunk the Kids. He's the neighbor from that and yes. he's like the stand miniseries. He's he's another one of those guys that just shows up and you're like, Oh yeah, that guy. He's Max him. he's Max Headroom. Yes, he's Max Headroom. <laughs> That's like I was like so Ellen, my wife watched this with me. She this is one of the first ones she watched with me. And uh she immediately is like is that the neighbor from honey i shrunk the kids i was like yes he <laughs> is oh he forgot he was in that too um so I, this this movie has a much bigger star-studded cast <laughs> yes and it it's it, it one of the interesting things about this is like what the uh, something that i really loved about the original um dawn of the dead is that they 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 do give enough time for you to actually care about the characters. Now they're not the greatest, most fleshed out characters, but you still are able to spend time with them and at least connect with them a little bit. And so it, you know, it, it pains you when one of them were, you know, dies in 1970 in the original one, like, you know, you get connected to these people and that's, that's good. That's a really good job of doing it. Then, you know, I was always hesitant about watching this for the first time uh, in 2004 because it was like, well, they up the cast. Now, how are you going to get like 12 people and you actually give a shit about them? Thing is, is like you don't necessarily give a shit about all of them, but they do a really good job of making you invested in some of these characters. Even the character that Ty Burrell plays one, he plays it so well that you like it, but it's pretty one dimensional. You still yeah. actually connect with him a bit you still want you want to root, actively root for him to die but you know like he's still like there's there's still some impact there and just how it is with all of them Mackay Pfeiffer's and Ving Rhames and you know like all these Jake Weber's character especially like everybody when you you, you meet these people and you you connect with them even the stupid ones you're just like Ugh. there's one guy they at, at one point one of my favorite parts of this movie is that they connect with a gun shop owner who they can only see through binoculars they yes. can't get to him and they write signs to him and it shows at one point that he and Ving Rames are having like a chess match where they're writing down the things on whiteboards and you know d- doing all their moves like that and when that guy he gets bitten and they go to try to like save him and everything like that. You, you connect with a guy who's literally never said a word on screen. You've never actually connected with him and they do such a great job of making him this character that you realize is like on screen for a total of, you know, 45 seconds before he's an actual zombie, you know, and never in focus is always through like a long shot. It's, it's, it, they do, it's such an excellent job with it somehow, even though they really expanded out the cast and it's, it's great. Actually, it really is. Yeah. And, and, I, I'm glad you mentioned it. I really like that they added that. Um, mm-hmm. 
I I think they missed a really big opportunity in this one from the first one that I really liked. So in the beginning scene, the SWAT team and the police, they're going through this house and they run into this priest who is literally storing zombies in a basement and feeding them humans. I yep. wanted that so bad in this movie. I I wanted it. I needed it. I didn't. I didn't fucking get it. Um, it was a good. It was it was good. Uh, there were again stupid stupid zombie decisions made in this movie. I don't know why we're the girl and the dog. dog. That, that freaking <laughs> dog, man. Um, it still bothers me to like. In essence, so for every girl and a dog you have in this movie, you do have a zombie baby. And it's amazing. Yes, it is just as good as it sounds. Uh, the one thing that I want to make sure that I talk about too, we're, we're talking about 2004 in case, and in, in, it seems pretty obvious to everybody now I'm sure, but we both enjoy it. I, despite my love for the original, still really enjoy the 2004 remake as well. It's worth noting. And I want to make sure that we touch on this, just who the fuck directed and wrote this movie, because you mentioned that this is, this really helped get a few actors off the ground or at least, you know, like kind of make them a little more recognizable, but, well, but did it help movie, the writer and director too? <laughs> I think it might have because yeah. the, this, this movie is written by James Gunn, who is, if nobody knows who James Gunn is, I mean, like go watch guardians of the galaxy. Cause the, those are him. And he's written other things like Slither, um, which I love as a weird horror comedy, and a movie called Super, which has Rain Wilson as a weird superhero guy. I just watched that, and it was great. I think I just watched it. Uh, He did movie 43, which is wholeheartedly messed up. Yep. I mean, like James Gunn, this this is a guy who at this at this point when he had first written this, he was known for being a makeup effects artist. So it was interesting that he actually came out and was able to write this screenplay. So if you guys know that you see glimpses of his of the other movies that we talked about in this. So you can tell there's some quippy one liners. There's actually good character building and that it's just it's going to keep moving. The plot moves along very well. It's well done. This is also the debut of a director by the name of Zack Snyder. What's that guy done? No, I've, I've, I've not heard much from him. <laughs> I'm going to let me just pull up his IMDb here. So he did. What were these movies here? Um, oh, right. He did. Oh, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, Man of Steel. Yeah, he, he's Watchmen, 300, Sucker Punch, Justice League. I mean, this guy, you've watched a Zack Snyder movie. And he has now gotten his kind of trademark weird cuts in the super slow-mo followed by super fast motion, the motion ramping, speed ramping, that's what it's called, um, shots and everything like that. He has, you know, like come to be known pretty well, love him or hate him. But this is his first movie. He's the one who did this. And it's, again, you see flashes of his future stuff in it, but it's mostly, it's actually pretty toned down for what he's known for now. Like, it's not not quite as flashy. So he really got launched from this too. Oh yeah. This, I mean, these two guys alone are blockbuster gold. And, uh, at the time they weren't anything. They were nobodies. Um, it's, it's kind of funny. I'm actually from Sean or, uh, well, Sean's too, but James and Sean Gunn's hometown. And when this came out, this was 
BFD where I'm from. Like I, <laughs> I really, as much as I don't care for the 1978, I love the 2004. Uh, yeah. I have my so good. I have my my semi controversial opinion that I, I I floated out to you earlier, but I'm going to say it here now because I think it's worth discussing too. Um, in my mind, this is Zack Snyder's best movie. Yeah, um, I, I don't have it. any love for any of the rest of his stuff. I mean, the DC EU movies, I'm not really all that into. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of Watchmen. 300 is what it is. Like, I'm just, this is in my mind, this is his best movie. And yeah, I just, I, I, I have to say that. So I guess there's, there's me going on record as saying that. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely say it's up there with his top movies. I'm not a big fan of the Superman reboots that he did. I know people like them. I know they did a ton um, there's some there's some good things in there. Don't get me wrong. Uh, yeah. But this I, I like I said, I actually really enjoyed the 2004 Dawn of the Dead. I was super excited to rewatch this while I kind of just sucked it up and got through the first one. <laughs> uh, this is this this was a good one. I, I like the effects. I like what they did. I like the camera work. There was edge of your seat. There was gore without being. Uh, what am I trying to say? Without just being obscene about it. There wasn't and there wasn't they, gore they did a really gore. good job. Yeah, that's a good point. What I was going to say, sorry, I kind of cut you off there, but like they do a really good job of Sarah Polly and Jake Weber's romance without it being a total distraction throughout the story. It's not just it doesn't feel wedged in like they were just like, oh, now we need to have some sort of love scene or some sort of love triangle or some bullshit like that. Let's just throw these two in there. Like you kind of felt like those two characters, you really put your heart into them and you were like, oh, I want these guys to make it, damn it. And then spoilers, Jake Weber gets bitten but he does the you know wonderful heroic sacrifice of staying back so that everybody else can get away. And you're just like, ah, oh, Jake Weber, you deserve better than this. And it's just such a gut punch, but it was so good. So good. <laughs> it was, it, it, it was. And I like that. I like overall. I like the way this movie ended. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to watch it all the way through the end. If you read reviews, some people either hated it or they loved it. I'm more on the love it side of how they ended this, uh, where they think they're getting on this boat and they're getting away and they get to this remote Island. And cause they think no one's going to be, Nope, they're there. They're all fucking dead. Yep. Like they die. They, everybody dies. Uh, perfect. That's, that's the way the no happy ending, no, romance at the end they they all died and yeah i you don't see that a lot in movies you don't see this generally everything wraps up happily or with a cliffhanger or nope they they all they all died they got to this island they 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 did and it was it was awesome yeah. One last thing that I want to say before we um, can get into some box office stuff here, I think, is that this movie, the one thing that it really, really establishes that that I think Snyder does pretty much no matter what movie it is, Snyder does this really well, is it established that he can he, that man can create an opening credit sequence like nobody's business. So it opens with all these like, you know, riot shots and all these crazy things happening. And it's with Johnny Cash singing. And it's just so 
so good. And, you know, like the opening to the Watchmen was incredible. The even like Sucker Punch, which is a, not a good movie, has an opening credit sequence that is just, you know, grabs you immediately and puts you into it. And like he really establishes that here. I love the opening sequence with uh, with Johnny Cash. Yes. And credits uh, closing with Down with the Sickness by Disturbed. Less cool. But, you know, it is what it is. It was 2004. Disturbed was cool then. <laughs> Less Way less cool, way less cool. But, but okay, since you brought it up, I was going to talk about this later. During the movie, there is a great version of Down with the Sickness by Richard Cheese. Oh, yes. Richard Cheese, the famed lounge singer that does all manner of covers. Yes, Uh, exactly. (laughs) And it's 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 awesome. That's all I, I was just hoping at some point we'd touch base on that. Well, and that's a great sequence, too, where it's just kind of showing everybody passing the time around like what you know, we're stuck in this mall We're we're talking to each other. What does everybody kind of do? And it shows like, you know, people putting on a burlesque show and then they're doing target practice and then they're just it's just all kinds of like actual fun. And you just kind of watch it and go, yeah, I mean, if I was stuck in an apocalypse, that might be what I would do. And now, admittedly, it's not what I've done during our current apocalypse, but, you know, maybe in the future with apocalypse that we have, I can do that. Uh, if only we could have been locked in a mall. In Milwaukee. And have zombies, I guess. <laughs> I guess so, right? Um, well, I'll tell you, this movie uh, actually did okay at the box mm-hmm. office. Uh, made, you know, budgeted, and, again, around $26 million. Um, and made a little over $26 million in its first weekend. So not great. Um, cumulative overall, worldwide gross, though, you're looking at over $100 million. Yeah. And it rated um, domestically it was the 51st highest grossing movie in 2004. It was competing against stuff like Shrek 2, Spider-Man 2, Passion of the Christ, Meet the Fockers, The Incredibles, The Prisoner of Azkaban, The Born Supremacy, The Day After Tomorrow, National Treasure, The Polar Express. Holy crap, that's a big top 10 right there. No wonder it didn't do so well. Yeah, I mean, you're throwing these movies out and then you're you're not going to get a rebooted horror movie isn't gonna isn't gonna take it to the box office yeah from an unknown director and an unknown writer uh despite it having and and a cast that is we can look at some of them now and say that they're good but even then the big names like a ving rames it, it was never like a huge box office draw yeah he'd made like you know pulp fiction and a couple others but no, nobody there is a real star save for now ty burrell but that's been you know it took 15 years later for him to be an actual big star. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think at the time, probably the biggest, I mean, there were some household names, like you said, Ving Rhames from, uh, Pulp Fiction, Pulp Fiction. Thank you. Mackay Pfeiffer was just wrapping up with eight miles. So people kind of knew who he was from that. I'm not, I'd have to look up, but I think this was definitely prior to house. Um, yeah. Well, like, and like every, I think everybody just, you know, it, we like we touched on earlier, you know, with when we we're talking about like Sarah Polly and Jake Weber, you look at the cast and it's full of almost everyone on there that you just look at and you start snapping. You're like, oh, they, they were in, they were in, they were in. Oh, right. They were in this. Yeah. And then you kind of go back through and figure out like, all right, Jake Weber was in what was it? U571. He was in one of the submarine movies in the early 2000s yeah right yeah he's definitely got that face though that you look at and you're like i know you from 
yeah meet joe black u571 like you know all these other just things where you just you would sit there and it would just bother the crap out of you until you look it up and go oh right he was in insert movie that you actually knew from him so (laughs) that's that's kind of what this movie's cast is again save for ty burrell that's kind of the whole thing of them is just like oh yeah they were in this now i knew Jake Weber, I keep picking on him because I loved him in a weird TV series called American Gothic that didn't last long. Um, But that American Gothic also introduced the world to uh, Gary Cole, who was, uh, you know, one of the Bobs from Office Space. Uh, Or no, he was Lumberg. Sorry. Lumberg. Lumberg from Office Space. Um, So, you know, like it's just, yeah. American Gothic is a a whole other weird diversion that I could go down. But yeah, that's the, the crux of this is the whole cast from 2004 is Dawn of the Dead is, is really good. It's just not necessarily people that you know from everything. You just ha- you have to search your, me- your memory banks a little bit more for them. Yeah, so you know the craziest thing I learned from Jake Weber since we keep talking about him? Yes, uh, please. <laughs> is I was looking through things he had been in. Uh, I learned that in the 90s, Gene Wilder had a show for like one season that he start- that he was in. Um, didn't wait, really? Yeah, it's called Something Wilder. Uh, and Gene oh, Wilder has sitcom. Uh, well, Jake Weber was in 15 episodes of it. Uh, I can't believe I had forgotten about that. My god, I know. Um, so anyway, yeah, that was that. that there's my Jake Weber trivia. All right, well, uh we talked about uh, all this type of stuff. So now let's do a quick rundown of the, the movies. We're going to break them down uh, for a few kind of quote unquote scoring criteria. We look at that cast acting direction slash script production value and enjoyment value. All right, uh, let's get into it. I'm going to go ahead and assume I know what our answer will be for this first one, but the cast of the two movies, which one do you think had it better, Paul? Oh, the remake, the remake definitely had it better in this one. Yeah, in case that wasn't completely obvious, I have to agree with you on that one. How about the acting in both of these? Which one do you think did it better? I'm going to go with the second one. <laughs> now, I'm going to I'm going to say I I like the acting in the second one is definitely better acting. Um I prefer the 1978 one because it's just so cheesy and overwrought and everything like that. 2004's is better. I I will I cannot deny that, but I just really love how soap opera e 1978's gets oh, it's, yeah, uh, it's, it's wonderful <laughs> it's so so different. um what about that direction in the script for these movies uh would you give it to the 78 2004 mm. so i will give direction mm-hmm. to the 2004 okay i will give screenwriting to the 1978 simply because it, i mean it's groundbreaking the mm-hmm. the remake is essentially the first one, mm-hmm. um, but I mean, you did it first. You're the better. I mean, I can't I can't in good conscience say James Gunn wrote a better sequel to you basically wrote the same thing and you changed some things. Um, so I actually I mean, George Romero, hands down, I'm going to give to writing for this one. But directing, I actually I like the effects. I like some of the choices that were made for the remake. But again, you're talking such a huge difference in time that it's almost not fair. Yeah. And like I I mentioned, you know, 
Romero is not going to ever be labeled as like an auteur or a, or groundbreaking director, I think, especially based off of his filmmaking prowess. But he's done some interesting stuff. I I like that you said that about the script. And I think I, I not I think I would definitely agree with you on the script. Um, the, the 2004 script, probably from a pure just uh, like dialogue perspective or character driving perspective is definitely the better script. But in 1978, I know I mentioned that he gets heavy handed with his social commentary and how he wants to do this, but there is something there. 2004 is very much a, we're going to make a popcorn horror flick. That is just, we're out to make zombies and you guys get to see boobs and gore. Like here's what we're doing. We're going to throw this out there. And 1978 Romero, even if he didn't fully accomplish it, perfectly he set out to make a you know i'm gonna critique um, consumerism i'm gonna throw up some you know like ethnical uh, ethnic debates and you know like i'm gonna make you kind of take a look at how police brutality is you know going in the 70s and all this kind of stuff like he he really punched you in the gut with that so i i agree with you i i actually i think the script for 1978 is is at least more meaningful if it's not necessarily the better of the two in terms of the way it's written. Um, what about the production value? I mean, <laughs> uh, <laughs> next. <laughs> no, uh, I mean, hands down. I, again, I think when you look at this genre in particular, um, and the, the amount of years between there's no, it's almost not a fair fight. And, but at the same point, if you take, the 1978 version and just think of it in terms of 1978 it's still cheesy as shit so (laughs) um i'm i'm definitely giving this to 2004 for that reason too uh it's not like i mean again you're looking at movies like star wars and some of these movies that have been out and have really good special effects for 1970s this is bad for 1950s yeah and I have to agree with you on that. I'm not going to not. I have nothing else to add. <laughs> uh, what about the enjoyment value watching these two movies? Which one did you enjoy more? I think I've, I mean, I I've mentioned it. I enjoyed the 2004 uh, personally more. Mm-hmm. I, you know, uh, every fiber of my being wants to say the 1978 is a horror purist and as you know, just lo- loving it for it being overwrought and everything like that. But in all honesty, the enjoyment value, the just being able to sit down and watch one of them, I'm going to, I even mentioned this to you. It was like, I, I rewatched 1978's version for for the first time in quite a while, probably 10 years or better. This is definitely not the first time in the last 10 years that I've watched 2004. So yeah. it, it's the, the enjoyment value. I do enjoy watching it. And I really like watching Ty Burrell's character eat it in the 2004. So that alone makes me like watching 2004 a little bit more. So overall thoughts on these, Paul, you know, anything else to add after having watched a couple of these, uh, these of the dead movies, these Dawn of the dead movies. <laughs> no, they were both fun. Like I said, I, 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 I do have a big soft spot for the 2004, uh, mm. 78. Meh. I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. It was worth it. It was a laugh if anything else, but no, this was, this was a, this was a fun one to do. Um, I would say that I think for a different time, maybe a different podcast, 
this might be a good one to look at the series as a whole and kind of dissect each, each one individually. Yeah, be careful what you wish for there, because as <laughs> it's, it's it's worth noting that uh, Night of the Living Dead also has has multiple remakes, including one directed in 1990, I believe, by Tom Savini, the only movie to date that he's directed, I believe. Um, he and it's and it's good actually, it's quite good. But then there was also one in like there was a 3D version of it that was also in black and white, made in like 2006 or something like that. Um, and then Dawn of the Dead has been remade. There's Day of the Dead that has also been remade, and then they gave it a sequel in after the remake. Um, Dawn of the Dead, the remake, has Nick Cannon in it, I believe. And then there's also just the, uh, you know, the land and diary and everything. It's just, uh, it would be a, a bit of a slog to get through some of these. But uh, yeah, that would be interesting. Um I, I, I was happy to go back and rewatch these. I think it was it was it was time well spent. So I'm I'm happy to to have been able to do this. I guess, you know, seeing as how it is the title of the damn series that we do, I have to ask you, Paul, 2004's Dawn of the Dead remake, was it really necessary? Yeah. Yeah, it was. This I I I welcomed remakes um in this series and in this genre. I do believe it was it was necessary. I wholeheartedly agree with you. And this is the reason being as much as I love the 1978 version, think it's a classic 2004 was you, you mentioned that it is basically, you know, they, they wrote the same movie, you know, James Gunn's script wasn't anything, you know, groundbreaking with it, but it, it's well-written. There's care that put into it. James Gunn has shown that he is a big horror and, you know, like just genre fan. So it was great to see him to be able to do that. And Zack Snyder, this gets to launch him for better or for worse, depending on how you feel about his movies, but he, he does a really good job with it. And the actors are good. Like I really enjoyed watching this and it renewed interest in zombie movies. So again, it, I, I do think it was necessary as much as I want to be the hater that, you know, goes back and I push up my glasses on the end of my nose and talk about horror all the time and say how I'm a purist or something like that. But really it was, it was necessary. I loved it. I, I just really, really enjoy both of these movies. So yeah, I got nothing bad to say about it. Um, it felt good to get back in here and, and record, even if it was remotely like this. Yeah. So, Paul, I, I hear that you have our next episode already planned out. And if you guys haven't listened to this before, you're hearing this as I'm hearing this. I have no idea what the next uh, what the next movies are that Paul's going to task me with um, watching. And hopefully we'll record before another five months goes by. Yep. <laughs> so, um today's selection i had a selection i was ready to do it it was going to be super controversial one i'm gonna save it Mm -hmm. for later okay (laughs) uh i'm gonna get sad for a second uh some of you may have known uh today may may 9th uh little richard great classic musician passed away today yeah yep uh there is a great scene in a great movie uh, from 1978, where a bunch of guys are riding in a helicopter prepping up for a jungle operation. <laughs> and the motherfuckers are listening to Tall Sally from Little Richard getting hyped up. Wow. Um, so there are a lot of movies in this. In this, mm-hmm. Zach already knows where I'm at. I hope you do, too. <laughs> there are a lot of movies in this. We're going to do the 1987 Predator with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Carl Weathers. And then yep. we're going to do the 2010 
the first reboot, Predators with Adrian Brody, Lawrence Fishburne, and Topher Grace. You're welcome, and I'm sorry at the same time. I I welcome it. I welcome it with open arms. I am. I, is, yes. <laughs> Little Richard is is the reason we're doing this. I I I was listening to uh, some best of Little Richard today. And that song came on and my head immediately went to a bunch of dickheads in a helicopter. <laughs> Listening to little Richard getting jacked up uh, for a, for a, a, a combat mission. So that's, uh, that's going to be our next episode folks. Um, I, oh man, I absolutely cannot wait for that. So uh, I thank you guys for listening. As, as always. <laughs> Um, hopefully you enjoyed this because I know we sure as hell did get back into the swing of things. So for everybody here at Was That Really Necessary? My name is Zach Buell. I'm some guy named Paul. And we really appreciate it. Thank you guys so much for listening and have a good one.